Blog Talk Radio. Hello. again to the Wednesday edition of the Fight Network of our sports conversation. I'm Don Henderson, our guest as always. Roy Cummings is in Tampa, Florida. We'll chat about the teams in Tampa and the rest of the National Football League, a little baseball, and uh, whatever else comes up to Roy's mind. 
Also, Roger Henderson is in Atlanta, the home of the champions. Uh, they're getting ready for the second half, making a rush on the New York Mets. We'll chat about that. Frank Carroll is our producer, our director, and he directs all the ship as we continue into another Wednesday night edition. So let's bring Roy in right away in Tampa. Roy, uh, baseball season is on a hiatus tonight, uh, and tomorrow we'll get back into action. But uh, some of your thoughts, first of all, on the baseball front. Yeah, I think uh, baseball is coming off a high uh, from last night, guys. Uh, I think the All-Star game, uh, while not in terms of uh, score and thing like, things like that, maybe not one of the more exciting games that you're going to see. But um, at the end of the day, you know, good pitching and good defense usually beat good hitting. And can you beat the fact that, or, you know, what would the entertainment value that we got from watching uh, pitchers like Alex Manoa and Nestor Cortez uh, mic'd up uh, while they're throwing, while they're in the game. Uh, I, I thought it was really a, um, a special event in that regard. That made it special. It made it, uh, for me, it was must-watch watch TV. I was sitting there and, you know, kind of flipping around channels a little bit and uh, came on to that and uh, was watching it with my wife, and she was glued to it. She was uh, fascinated, you know, to hear what the pitchers were saying and, uh, you know, asking me, I mean, is this what it's, what it's really like? And I said, you know, to some degree it is, you know, and uh, I thought it was fascinating. I, I think it's something that Major League Baseball should uh, try to explore further and, and see if there's a way to possibly uh, get some of that uh, incorporated into the ga- into regular season games and certainly the playoffs. Um, I think Major League Baseball hit a home run last night. I really do with their all-star game. Look, I don't think there's any question that baseball offers up the best uh, all-star entertainment, uh, the, the package of uh, events that are uh, put together through the weekend um, or, you know, in the three, four days that they, they have it, I think it's by far the best. Um, and I think they uh, they took advantage of it in a great way again this time around. Uh, I thought it was a really special uh, event that they put on. And, uh, you know, the, all, the home run derby was exciting. Um, I wish they would play the uh, the Futures game maybe the day after the all-star game as opposed to the day, be, you know, two days before on a Sunday while everybody else is playing. I'd like to see those, those future stars play a little bit uh, more and, and, and highlight that in a way. But, uh, guys, I was, I was impressed with what they did for the all-star game. I thought it was a great event uh, for the fans, and I think they, they might have hit, hit on something here that they can uh, build off of. Roger? Yeah, I agree with you, uh, Roy. Uh, I would like to have seen that Futures game on a, as a separate venue uh, on uh, TV uh, so you wouldn't have any uh, baseball conflict. Uh, and maybe they will uh, realize that and uh, make the uh, the changes because today you basically have no baseball. And, uh, you know, people that want to get it, I know the Phillies uh, don't get back into action until Friday. So you have, obviously have a couple of days there, uh, but the um, was there anything surprising uh, about the uh, game, uh, Roy? In your opinion, other uh, than it was, in my opinion, a low-scoring affair and great pitchers uh, battle. No, nothing surprising at all. Um, I maybe you know I may be a little surprised that there wasn't a little bit more hitting when you consider that. Uh, I think just about everybody in the game that's, uh, that's hitting 300 or better other than uh, Nico Horner were, was in the game. Um, a lot of, obviously, a lot of big home run hitters in the game. And uh, uh, so we didn't see a whole lot of, uh, 
a whole lot of a power, much of a power display, not a hitting display either. But again, like I said, when uh, you know good pitching tends to beat good hitting, and we're kind of in a cycle now uh, in Major League Baseball where uh, pitching tends to uh, to dominate at times when you've got pitcher after pitcher throwing uh, 96, 97, 98 miles an hour or 100 or more uh, with these nasty sliders and uh, breaking pitches uh, that some of them throw, you're not going to get a lot of hitting. And, uh, you know, guys don't get a second look at a guy, and uh, I, I think the, the pitchers have the edge. And, and again, there's, you know, there's, you've got great defenders out there as well. So not surprised at all. And, again, you know, I heard some people say or some, you know, some of the opinions are that it was a boring game because there wasn't a whole lot of hitting. But, you know, to me, pitching uh, matchups like that are never boring. Uh, I love to watch pitchers, uh, uh, you know, practice their craft. And when they do it at that high a level, I think it's, uh, I think it's exceptional. Well, I'll throw my two cents in. uh, (laughs) One thing about this show is we we all disagree at times, and this is what I'm going to disagree with. I I like the Futures idea of having that tonight rather than, uh, you know, the end of last week and and before the All-Star game started. (laughs) As far as the All-Star game was concerned, if that were a regular game, I would buy your assessment very 100%, Roy, because you'd have a game that was 3-2 that really had some drama. This game meant nothing. The game has never meant anything since they changed. There's no no reason to watch it if you have a rooting interest in the National League or the American League because they don't make any difference. Number two, the game was nothing but, you know, uh, three stooges. You know, what, run around the dugout talking to people about nothing. Uh, I mean, to me, maybe, maybe if I had my wife there, you're right. Maybe people that don't follow baseball, uh, this kept them alive and gave them an idea to watch some of the things that transpired, I thought it was sort of overkill, very boring, uh, nothing to watch. <clears throat> I thought the game was a disaster. I thought what they did totally from the beginning, the only thing that would have interested me more would have been more on Jackie Robinson and Mrs. Robinson being there at 101 years old and playing at Dodger Stadium and the fact that it was 75 years ago and treated a little more, with a little more dignity than what they did. Washington made a nice little speech before the game, but nothing, you know, nothing really particular that you would go back and look at and say, boy, that was, that was something that, uh, you know, somebody with a real baseball intent would say. So I disagree. I, I thought it was a game. I would, if, if I weren't doing anything else, I wouldn't watch it. Uh, the home run derby, I never watched it. I've never seen a home run derby. In all the years they've had the home run derby, and now they want to have it, one of the proposals was to have it, after nine innings of a regular season game, have what they decided to try at the All-Star game, three players picked out. I mean, what kind of nonsense? It's not baseball. This is not baseball. And as you're right. I say, to me, you're talking three stooges. Everybody talking out on the field. They don't care what the hell's going on. They don't care whether they're winning or losing. The game means nothing. It, 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 it's a farce. So to me, you know, I, I got to turn it off. Roger? Well, I'll let Roy follow in that first. Well, I, I I hear what you're saying, Don, and I don't think you're alone in that camp, but uh, I do think you're in the minority, and I'll say this. Um, yeah, the game means nothing. You know why? Because it means nothing. It never meant anything. It's never meant – well, it meant more eight years ago when the winner was going to – when it was going to decide who would host the World Series. It never meant anything when Ted Williams was playing or when Jackie Robinson was playing. It never meant anything. Are you so kidding me? Tend to look it was back more interesting those... when they were playing because 
the, the rooting for the American League against the National League when Mr. Giles met in the clubhouse and said, you know, when the when the National League had lost all those signs and he was president of the National League, he laid it on the line. We didn't come out here to run around. We came out here to win. And that's what games are all about. You win and you lose. You don't come out here to dance around and, and sing and so, uh, stuff that doesn't mean anything. And that's exactly what this game was. And they've turned it into a farce. Well, well, I think I, it's a pretty good farce because I think it uh, I think it shows people a side of the game that they don't get to see. And, uh, you know, it, it, let's not forget, it is game. And again, I hate to repeat this, but this game means nothing. So if these guys are taking it, uh, you know, uh, playing at a, at a, at a level uh, 5 or 6 as opposed to uh, a 9 or 10, uh, it's because the game doesn't mean anything. It, it's a moment to celebrate the game and, and the great players who are in it. Um, and, and I think they did a great job of, uh, of displaying the talent that's out there today. We saw a lot of new all-stars. I think that was interesting. Um, you know, when you get to see Shohei Otani, uh, you, you, how can you be upset when, you know, and as fans watching it, watching it at home, uh, I thought they brought something when he to, got picked uh, off first base. Yep, they do fans. <laughs> well, you know, okay, the, uh, I agree with some of what both of you are saying. Okay. Roy, I totally disagree with you that it never meant anything. You know when it meant something? When there was not interleague uh, or inter, interleague play. Yeah, and what did it mean? Okay. And what did it mean, Roger? I mean, I, I, I see it your meant, point, but what did it like mean? All it meant was, that, you, okay, maybe on one day, on one given night, maybe the NL no, was better than the AL or the AL was better than the NL, but it really didn't mean anything. So what? At the end of the day, it's something like. At the end of the day, the best way to determine that is so you know who's got the best players and who's got uh, you know who won the World Series. That's a better gauge of uh, you know who's who's better the American League or the and who cares who's better than the the American League or National League? Really? Who cares? Especially now since they're playing uh, interleague play all the time. That's my point. Okay, I agree. They're right there now. You're talking about now. This game meant something for years and years and years when it conceived the idea of doing this, this game meant something. Not just about, you know, uh, dancing around on the field. It meant game. Yeah. Did, did you win? They put they put 100% of their effort into playing in this game if you were in the National League or the American League. Well, back yeah, in the one, day. And, one, and guess what? And guess what? And guess what? One player famously lost his career as a result of that. And I think everybody realized at that moment, as, as memorable as that is, and as much as you appreciate Pete Rose and his desire to win, I, and I, I, but he ended a career in an, in, in an exhibition, in, in, in a display of talent. That's all it is. It's, it, it's, it's not, this is not a game where you go out there and, and, and you try to, you know, spike the next guy to, to get him out of the game. Or, 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 or I mean, You run your hardest to get a single, uh, to beat out a single. You throw your best to try to get batters out. You, you, you play your best. But, you know, again, I can tell you right now, you go back to 1967, yeah, Pete Rose might have been on the edge, but nobody else was. Sure, they want to do it. Anytime these guys go out there, they want to win. And winning, but winning, they want to win on an individual basis. The batters want to get hit. The pitchers want to get out. So there's a, there's a, people want to win, but it's not going to change anyone's life if, if the National League beats the American League or vice versa. It's not going to matter. Well, that's you're, you're, you're right. You're right. Not now right. it doesn't matter. It doesn't no, matter you're, you're right about it that today. Okay. 
or when Pete Rose was playing. It's never mattered. In fact, it probably didn't matter that much when it when it decided who was going to host the. Uh, you know, you know the, I'm, I'm having trouble here. Starting. I got to no, tell you, I'm here. having trouble hearing anybody because I'm hearing a woman's voice. I, 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 I hear it as Roger. well. I hear it as well. Yeah, she's saying yeah, get out of here. here. I mean, this is. Ain't coming from my place, Nobody guys. on the other line. I know. I can't. I have no idea who the, uh, this woman, uh, this this conversation. I can't even hear. Yeah. But I'll, I'll say this will be my last point on this, guys. Uh, and, Don, I do see your point, and I understand. It would be nice if there – but you know what? This doesn't make the MLB All-Star game any different than any other. And, and, and I still think Major League Baseball puts on the best All-Star, All-Star show. The, the hockey game doesn't mean anything. The NBA game doesn't mean anything. You're right. Certainly 100% the football game correct. Mean that, I so agree with none that. None of them mean Absolutely. anything. You know, I'll tell you what I did find, uh, and I, I heard a lot of conversations from uh, older ball players and, and people that are probably as old as Don and me and, and Frank. Obviously, uh, you're younger, Roy. Uh, but they were saying about it back in the 50s when I was growing up, it meant something. I used to look forward, and they had two all-star games for several years. And I, I, I believe what I heard was that Johnny Callison's walk-off home run to win, and, a boy, if that doesn't show you that it meant something, uh, when it was the National League and Warren Giles against Will, what was it, Will Heritage, right, the American League, when it was not just under the commissioner. It was different. It was different baseball. You'll never convince me otherwise. What I that was a Chase Stadium, by the way, Roger. That, that walk-off home run by Johnny Callis. Yeah, well, you know what, what I believe, that I, if I'm correct, I heard that's, he's the only non-Hall of Famer that hit an, a, a walk-off home run in an All-Star game. Well, that may be correct. Let, let me just, before we go to another topic, let me just ask Roy thing, one thing. Roy, if you were sitting at your TV set, and this was a regular game, playoff game, World Series game, and it was 3-2, and it was, National League hadn't got or whatever, doesn't matter, whatever team you're watching, didn't get a hit between the two runs scored in the <clears throat> first inning until the seventh inning of the game. You're there watching a 3-2 game all the way through, <clears throat> and you're going to tell me, that you wouldn't have more interest in a baseball game than you would in something like this? Well, of course I would. Of course I would. There's, yeah, there's no doubt about that. But but I know going in. Well, that's what it's about. That that's what baseball is about. It's about having. No, not that, that, yeah, but that's not what this game is about. That's not what this game is about. This game is about showcasing the game's talent, celebrating the game, celebrating its stars. It's not it didn't about... show too much last night. I thought they did, actually. I mean, again, I think we, we got to see the personality of a couple of players. We got to see interaction between pitch, pitchers and catchers. We got to hear what the umpire actually says, uh, how they call balls and strikes. Some of these things, for people who have never played the game or, or been involved in it uh, at the highest level, this is new to them. As I said, my wife was fascinated by it. And that, that's not, that doesn't make her, you know, the, 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 the poster child for, you know, whether this thing worked or not. But I think that's a pretty good example. My wife, in that 3-2 game that matters, even if it's Game 7 of the World Series, uh, you know, she doesn't care. 
you know, she, she'd rather, literally, she'd rather probably vacuum the house or, or, or clean a toilet bowl and watch that. But <laughs> last night, she was literally fascinated by this and didn't want me to turn it off. You know, I mean, and usually she's like, well, Why I'll, I'll be very, I'll be, Roy and, and, and Roger, I'll be very interested. I, and I haven't seen any no overnight results. I have not seen any yeah. TV uh, uh, results on what the audience was for the game or how well it was received. I really, and I really haven't heard any talk shows in New York or, or Philadelphia today uh, to see how people, you know, felt about the game and about what happened. So I, I, I really can't make any, you know, uh, realistic evaluation of, of what most people thought about it. Uh, we all have different opinions. Uh, <clears throat> the new rules, I'm hoping it, uh, you know, I hope, you know, I know we're going to go with the bigger base next year, and I know we're going to go with the, not, they're not going to be able to put on a the, the definitive uh, uh, shift like they do now. There are two rules they are going to abide by. Uh, <clears throat> but the game is evolving again. <clears throat> Excuse me. Further and further away from what my idea of baseball was, and uh, you know, wh- hope maybe next week. Oh, I can't next week, but th- the next time we're on, I'll, I'll get Larry Bower, one of the guys that uh, <clears throat> you know. Ha- let's see what their ideas were about the All Star Game and about what's happening with baseball right now, and get their opinion. Roger, let's go to a different well, topic because you're yeah, down well, in let me, Atlanta. Let me just say this. Well, you know, let me say this, Don, about we, the game. You, I just wanted to say, we do that, I, like, I really like Kyle Schwerber, okay, no doubt about it. However, I don't think that just because you're in the home run contest, you should be an all-star, okay? That, that is something, and it wasn't only just him, I mean anybody. I think if you're an all-star, it's your total package of what, what you're doing. The other thing is, I think that where the the, uh, all-star game was better when it was players and not just how many times a fan can vote and encourage to vote for certain players. I think that it's lost uh, its credibility, you know, because of that. I'd like to get away from the fans. Okay, well, they had a lot of different ways of doing it. Uh, you know, first it was the players, then it was the fans, and that didn't work. And they tried any number of ways. The one thing I would, from a positive standpoint, I would like to say is I do like the designated long-term player. I think the fact that uh, two players were, were put on the all-star team, one for the National League, one for the American League, who had had better than 20 years in the major leagues and have unbelievable statistics. I'm 100% in favor of that. Roy? Yeah, I am too. I thought that was a good nod to those players because, let's face it, uh, uh, I don't. I don't think how, however you vote, well, however you put the vote in, whether it's the players, coaches, managers, uh, players, whatever it is, uh, however you want to split up the vote, I don't think anybody's going to vote in Albert Pujols or or, or some of these no. older players who aren't. They're not all stars anymore. But as they're bowing out of the game. It's it's fun to see them play again, and I think they should be part of it, and I like it. And uh, you know, to Roger's point about Kyle Schwarber, what I'll say is, um, look, some guys are picked specifically for an event because that's what they do. But Kyle Schwarber, to me, is an all star. He leads the National League in home runs, so to me, that's an all star. I don't care if you're hitting 204, uh, that's an all star. If, if if you're leading the league in home, that's the guy I want to see. And, um, you know, again, I, I, there's, a, there's a lot of ways to, 
to do it. And, and if, you know, if we take the voting away from the fans, I mean, it is a game for the fans. It's not a game for, for the coaches or the uh, umpires or the executives. It's a game for the fans, and I think the fans should be allowed to vote. But I think there should also be votes from other groups, and uh, they should weigh it all. But you know, I, for the most part, I think the fans got it right. You know, they, you, there are certain players you absolutely want to see. Um, and I think we saw those players. I don't think anybody got really snubbed, and let's not forget some guys decide they, you know, not to go because uh, of injury concerns or, or other concerns. And But I think, you know, most guys go, and, and, and I think they go because they know that it's an honor to be there and be a part of it. Go ahead, Phil. You know, Roy, there was the, uh, the local I flavor the last the night game, too. There was a, a young pitcher who started the game who is a graduate of the um, University of South Florida. That's the first time anybody from the University of South Florida has played, uh, yeah. started a Jane, game like Jane that. Flanahan, absolutely. And, and, and which was really uh, interesting because, you know, I've, hey, there, there was obviously a lot of talk about, you know, should Shohei Otani start the game? Just for the, not because he's the best pitcher in baseball, but just because why not see that spectacle? Why not see Shohei Otani pitch an inning and then lead off the next inning as, as the top hitter uh, for the for the American League, I, I I couldn't have argued with that, but you certainly can't argue with Shane McClanahan, uh, who's uh, what second in the league in uh, in strikeouts behind Dylan Cease mm-hmm. uh, starting. I mean, he's got a he's got a uh, for the Rays, he's got a Cy Young Award winning uh, season going. He's been exceptional. So yep. yeah, that was fun. Uh, again, as you said, uh, U.S. I was to struggle a little bit. I thought he was going to come out and yeah. be. A little bit more dominant, but he was the only pitcher that really came out against the National League that wasn't actually, uh, you know, a dominant pitcher. Hey, you thought at that point it wasn't going to be three-two. You thought you were we're looking at uh, nine to eight or eleven to ten, maybe uh, at that point. But uh, as usually is the case, uh, the pitchers uh, ended up getting the upper hand. Roger. Yeah. Uh... I I I can't believe what I'm hearing on this other uh, show. I mean, they're talking about the Falcons' defense and everything. Where the heck is this thing coming from? But, yeah, you know, Roy, before, uh, you know, we get away from baseball, and it's hard to believe that uh, training camps are going to open up in the next uh, couple of days for some, definitely within the next week. And, uh, uh, you know, as you look at uh, things right now, if you were to uh, look at the NFC East, uh, what, do you pick the uh, the Bucks at the top? You mean in the NFC uh, South? The NFC South. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I don't think you I don't think you can. Uh, well, you certainly can. Anybody can do anything they want. Um, but uh, I think if you're looking at it objectively, you have to say that right now on paper, uh, the Bucks are uh, are the likely team to win simply because they've got the best quarterback. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen in uh, in Atlanta with the quarterback situation there. Don't really know what's going to happen in Carolina. And to be honest, we don't really know what's going to happen in, uh, in New Orleans either. I mean, it looks like it's going to be Jameis Winston, but, it's, you know, which Jameis Winston is that? You know, how good is that, is that uh, Saints team? If it's, a, if it's a team much like uh, the ones that he played for with the Bucks, where uh, the, the defense can't hold on to a lead and uh, he's got no running game, which is possible, um, you know, he's going to end up trying to force the ball in situations and make mistakes, and uh, the Bucks could win it easily. So, you know, I think they're going to get some push from uh, New Orleans, and I'd like to see them get some push from Atlanta because I think Atlanta's trying to rebuild here on the fly. But um, 
I think looking at it on paper, objectively, you have to say, yeah, the Bucks are uh, the Bucks are probably a, a couple of games ahead of everybody else in that division Roy, right now. So, um, Roy, you're, 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 leading, you're leading me right into our next guest, which is Daryl Ledbetter, oh, okay. who's down there in Atlanta, holding on right now, listening to you. So he'll be interested, be interested to see whether he agrees with you about the Atlanta Falcons. But as Roy always, thank you very much. We spent a lot of time on the All-Star game. I want to get to a lot of other things we never got there. But thank you as always. Roy, have My a great pleasure, week. guys. Thanks for having me. Daryl Ledbetter is standing by, ready to go now, and uh, he's down there in Atlanta. And Daryl, first of all, uh, just a quick, we talked the first 25 minutes about the All-Star game. Uh, before we get to uh, baseball and other things, just a quick note from you about what you thought of the game and the concept of the game and the way they're playing it right now. Yeah, it uh, definitely takes uh, an adjustment for us old-timers or, or a part, almost on the way old-timers, uh, just <laughs> starting with the uniforms and so forth. Uh, uh, but, yeah, I, I kind of like the uniforms. I know the concept is to make more money and sell uniforms. Uh, right. It was a traditional traditional game, and uh, I really stayed in there. I, I watched it early, took a break, and came back late. And uh, uh, didn't really like the microphones in the ear and all the gimmicks and stuff for TV. Much rather just watch the game and see some of the best players in the game play a little bit longer. Join the but, club. Uh, Join the club, Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I just remember the good old days when Reggie Jackson and the American League was playing the National League, and that might be the only time you see it that way. It was much about a big, bigger, spectacular uh, uh, game back then. I wish Roy were still on with us. I'd love, I'd love to have had him hear your comments because you were joining the two of us. Roger, we'll let you get in with Daryl first. Hey, you know, Daryl, good to hear, talk to you. And uh, the, uh, you know, I agree with you 100. percent And uh, when Roy was on, he he liked the idea of you know the uh, the players uh, being uh, mic'd and everything. And you know, when I watch, I I've only watched it one night. But when I uh, for baseball, you know, where ESPN two does the uh, uh, the analyst, you know, like uh, the uh, Mannings on football. I love the Mannings, and what they do on the NFL, I couldn't stand watching that uh, counterpart on baseball. How about you? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I'd much rather just watch the game and eat some peanuts, you know, whether I'm at the game or at home. You know, I don't need all these gimmicks and stuff. Just tell me if it's a ball or a strike, you know. Uh, just really, really not into all these uh, quote-unquote innovations. Yeah, I agree. They, you know, we, we wanted to get to uh, – we'll talk about the Braves a little bit. And uh, they've been on a, uh, a dare – uh, after they got off to a slow start, and uh, and I've been very high on them, obviously, and, and getting to see all the games, but uh, like you do, uh, do you think that they can? Uh, I mean, they took took a little stumble against the Mets, but do you think that they can uh, continue on and build like they did last year? Yeah, Roger, I think so. You know, they're playing really well right now. Um, you know, the big key for them is uh, whether they can make get Soroka back. Uh, the rookie, you can't expect, you know, expect Strider to keep going like he's been going. Uh, you know, the Mets are going to get – they got Scherzer back and they're going to get DeGrom back. 
So, um, you know, don't bet on that. Them to, might be chasing <laughs> them the rest of the way. Don't yes. bet on the ground coming ahead, back. He, he's been pushed back again, so I. I'll, I'll wait and see him do it. They keep telling me when he's coming back. I'm going to wait and see what happens, Daryl. Okay, well, yeah, that's still a wild card. And, uh, you know, if he makes it back, that's certainly going to be a, um, a, a uplift for the mix. Let me follow up on Roger there. I, I think game three of that three-game series in Atlanta just before the All-Star break was a very, very big loss for the Braves to the Mets. The Mets were really depleted, depleted talent-wise, with a number of injuries and a lot of other things. And I thought the Braves were going to take at least two out of three and make it very close to a game or a half a game going into the All-Star game. It didn't happen. I think that was a very, very big game at the end of the regular uh, before the All-Star game. Yeah, I do, too. They, uh, you know, rebounded and got two out of three against uh, the Nationals. But uh, they got to go head-to-head against the Mets. And, uh, you know, they, they might be seeing them again here down the stretch. Uh, you know, they, they don't want anybody else to have to do their work for them. So, uh, you know, that was a big, big turn of events where they had an opportunity to, uh, you know, make some strides and uh, put their foot down, and they weren't able to do it. Roger? Roger? I, I don't know where Roger went. I was about to wait till he gets back. But uh, let, let's okay. go a little bit deep. Let's go a little deeper into it because uh, the Mets were in a situation, as you said, uh, Scherzer's pitched two great games since coming back. Uh, no decision. Uh, you know, he, he's gone out of the game uh, in a situation where any kind of run production on the Mets part, he would have two or three wins right now since since coming back. But that didn't happen. <laughs> Well, you know, the uh, I agree with. Uh, can you hear me now, Don? Yeah, Daryl. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you what. I I dropped off because I uh, evidently that interference with that show we heard was coming through through my phones from somewhere. Uh, you know, and you know where cyberspace is. But uh, you know, go ahead, Daryl. Yeah, on to Don's question. Yeah, I think we had discussed the Mets and how important that was. To, uh, you know, the Braves needed to get one. They were down, wasn't able to do it. Uh, but, you know, they were able to regroup against the Nationals and uh, go into the um, the All-Star break where you haven't won that series. But, yeah, the, every, it's looking like the Mets and the Braves are going to fight it out all the way to the 162-game mark here. Roger. Well, no doubt about it. I agree with that. And uh, but I think they have the talent as long as they can stay healthy. And like Don says, Degrom's been uh, pushed back. So uh, who knows? I was just reading uh, uh, today. Uh, you know, on the Falcons website, uh, you probably uh, saw it about uh, uh, that uh, Arthur Smith's really working with Mariota and uh, the uh, the rookie uh, to develop them. Uh, you know, it, you know what's sad, Daryl. I'm thinking back to Mike Smith's tenure and how wonderful it was as Falcons fans, because it was pretty much you knew you were going to get in the playoffs, and that was from early on when Matt came in in '08. And then they've had some trouble recently. 
do you think that Mariota uh, is the right guy uh, to to take the team uh, to the next step, or is this strictly, strictly a, which I think it probably is, a stopgap to develop this uh, young man? Yeah, I think it's a stopgap, and um, uh, you know, I talked to you know, we knew all his Tennessee coaches. You know, Ken Wisenhunt was from here, Marcus. Uh, uh, Mike Malarkey is from here now. Got Arthur Smith, who was with Malarkey and Rabisky. So, you know, I don't have to make but a couple phone calls to find out <laughs> if this guy was going to be any good or not. So, uh, the book is in on him. You know, he started 66 games. If he was any good, he would have showed it by now. Uh, so, you know, he's a guy that they're going to go play with for a year or, or part of a year and then see if this other kid that they got, Desmond Ritter, see if he can play, if he's special or special enough to where you don't have to go back into the draft and get, you know, the Ohio State kid or the Alabama kid next year and uh, kind of reset that quarterback position. But in the meantime, they're going to build out the roster and then figure out if they have a quarterback. Following up on Roger's question and – how do you rate the Falcons for this year? Where would you put them in the division? They're last. I don't see two wins on the schedule. Uh, it's uh, two wins and six maybes, you know. So they're going to be prohibitive underdogs most of the season. It, uh, you know, just starting off, just uh, you got a tough – you got you got the Saints coming in here. You go to L.A. and Seattle, then the Browns come in. Uh, they might not be with Deshaun, but then you got to play Tampa Bay. And, and it doesn't get any easier throughout. It's a real tough schedule for a team without a quarterback, team without a pass rush, a team that doesn't have an offensive line. A lot of things they don't have, uh, and they're just going to be out there trying to play tough and play hard and uh, steal some games where they can. Roger? You know, getting back to uh, Mariota, when Chip Kelly was with the Eagles, you probably remember this, both of you. They they wanted to get Mariota as the quarterback in uh, in Philadelphia because of Chip Kelly at, at Oregon, you know, and he wound up, uh, you know, with Tennessee. Yeah, um, Daryl, I really hope that Matt Ryan has tremendous success in Indianapolis. And I think it's really ironic that Matt Conti and Matt Ryan are reunited in in, in Indianapolis. Uh, because for those of you that don't know, Matt Conti's the uh, director of PR, and he was uh, one of the assistants uh, back when Matt Ryan came to the Falcons. And he's uh, just a terrific guy. His brother's a, a broadcaster in Atlanta. Mike, great guy, too. But isn't that ironic after all these years, Daryl? Yeah, no question. Matt's a true professional. Uh, you know, he made sure that Matt talked to uh, the, the AJC when he got traded there. Uh, we're going to probably cover some of his games, uh, you know, uh, we will early on. And then if, you know, the Falcons are going to tank and uh, the, uh, the Colts are relevant, we'll be going to their games because Matt has a big following here in Atlanta. But, yeah, Matt Conti's one of the great PR guys in the league and really respect the way he handles his business. Darryl, he always uh, Kyle, has. Kyle Pitts and also uh, wide receiver uh, Drake, they they have to come through. They have to be a, a major factor if this team's going to score points. 
Yeah, no question about it. The London kid looked great in the off season, uh, Bob. He, uh, you know, they, they, they didn't have any pads, so, you know, he was supposed to look great, and, and he did. Uh, but we saw a little bit of what Kyle Pitts can do last year, uh, you know, moving him around, creating space. Uh, Matt Ryan was uh, more accurate than these guys, uh, Mariota and Ritter. So, you know, he got the ball where he <clears throat> where he wanted it. And we'll see if these guys can find a way to get uh, the two big receivers uh, the ball here. Well, they got $63 million invested in those players, so they better do something. <laughs> yeah, no question about it. Roger? Yeah, you know, talk, yeah, talking about uh, Kyle Pitts, the, uh, I had read a few months ago, uh, you may have uh, seen it too, uh, Daryl. I think it was something in Atlanta about uh, he wanted to know when Wawas were going to be in the area. And uh, I'll tell you, I, it was funny. I was up at my kids, and I was talking to a Wawa manager and said, well, they, they are going to move to uh, Tennessee, Alabama, and, uh, and Georgia. And I'm thinking, well, Kyle Pitts has already got his first individual sponsorship for uh, TV and radio with Wawa. <laughs> Yeah, that was hilarious. A lot of people that haven't been up the uh, uh, East Coast or, you know, Virginia where I know of Wawa, <laughs> too. Uh, but, uh, you know, they, they didn't know what he was talking about. It's a trip, quick trip country down here, racetrack. And then yeah. Bucky's just kind of moved into the state. So, uh, yeah, I could see Wawa's finding their place uh, on the Georgia landscape and Maybe Kyle Pitts will be one of the first franchisee owners. <laughs> yeah, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> Darrell, let's, let's go back to baseball for a minute. And uh, uh, If the Braves are fortunate enough to stay healthy, if everything goes well this second half, after the run they put on just before the first half, uh, can they, are they capable of putting another run like that together or – you think everything just fell their way and the schedule went their way? Well, I thought, uh, you know, um, uh, they definitely have a good team. They did it last year without Acuna. Acuna, and um, so he's back. You need one to see him get going here in the second half, going a little bit better in the second half. And uh, my only question is, do they have enough pitching? Uh, you know, they got quality bullpen. But, uh, you know, you could, he goes to it a little too much for my liking. Uh, I don't know why they don't let these guys go six, seven innings. Uh, but, you know, that's just baseball now. Uh, the big key is do you get Soroka back? Do you get another arm? Do you trade for an arm? Do you get into the Juan Soto Derby? Uh, you know, they made the moves, all the right moves at the trading deadline last year, and everybody's waiting to see if they – feel like they have enough or they need to make some moves again. I think they, uh, you know, are one quality arm away from being back in the World Series and being um, uh, on par or above the Dodgers. Roger, let's take a moment now to, uh, because you worked with Darrell uh, for a couple of years, uh, well, more than a couple of years, but give our listeners across the country a little bit of idea who we're talking to. Well, Darrell uh, has had an extensive, uh, successful career uh, in uh, the newspaper business. He's with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Uh, he previously uh, one time was up in uh, uh, Green Bay. 
and I was just talking about him uh, today when, when we, you know, we were talking to some other fellows about uh, that story that Daryl tells about the John Gruden and Andy Reid, among other coaches. I guess Ray Rhodes was in that group, and uh, where they would show you plays on napkins, right, Daryl? Yes, that's true. Yeah, Sherman, Lew- Sherman Lewis was the offensive coordinator, and he would help me out and show me how the West Coast offense was supposed to work. Yeah, Andy was the tight ends coach. Gruden uh, was wide receivers, and uh, Steve Mariucci was the quarterback coach. A lot of head, future head coaches on that staff there. Uh, and uh, Ray Rhodes was the defensive coordinator. Uh, Bob Valacente coached the linebackers, and uh, Greg Blanche had the defensive line. Tom Labatt had the offensive line. Uh, Fritz Sherman was there for a little while until he got sick and passed away. Uh, but it was a great, great coaching staff, and they were very media-friendly and, uh, you know, helped, helped the media do their job. Yeah, totally different uh, different world back then. And, uh, you know, I mentioned Mike Smith uh, earlier because I know you had a great relationship with uh, him, and I have nothing but the utmost respect. Uh, uh, I, I guess he's uh, in retirement down in uh, Jacksonville, right? Yeah, Daytona Beach, he comes back and forth. Uh, we chat. Uh, we'll probably chat here before the season starts. Uh uh, we've been, you know, he's been playing a lot of golf and doing some work uh, with the East Tennessee uh, State program, getting them back up and going. But yeah, he's a he's a low profile guy, he likes to stay out in the shadows. Uh, but yeah, we've learned great coaches to deal with. Uh, his record here in Atlanta is uh, he's got the best coaching record anybody ever did it here. So he's well respected and uh, uh, you know, great good good man, good man to know. And we certainly wish him the best in his retirement. Uh, no, you talk about you. the coaching staff there. And, and uh, of course, Roger and I have a, a close relationship in terms of university, Temple University. And the new coach uh, of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is one of the coaches that you mentioned, but more importantly, was the head coach of the Jets, and it was unsuccessful. How do you think he'll make the transition from going from the Jets, where they went and had a, a great first year, and then three terrible years following that, how will he make that transition out of being a head coach in Tampa Bay? Well, Todd has been one of both. has been one of the best uh, defensive coordinators in the league for for a long time. He should have got. He was he was up for the Falcons job the same time they they picked Dan Quinn, and uh, they both kind of you know did five six years did pretty good. Uh, in Quinn's case, for the first couple. You know, same thing with Todd. He had the one good year. But there was so much dysfunction with the Jets. How can you really evaluate the job he did? He had general managers, I think three different general managers. Didn't really have a quarterback. Uh, But, you know, his guys played tough and and came out to play. He's got a quarterback. He's got a defense. Um, So I think Coach Todd's going to be just fine down with the Buccaneers. Looking forward to see him do a – Really good job. Got his guy Keith Armstrong from Temple with him, uh, running the special teams and so forth. So uh, I think Coach Bowles, who started his coaching career here in Atlanta at Morehouse College on, on Doug Williams' staff. That was his first job in 92, uh, was coaching here in Atlanta at Morehouse. So 
he uh, I think he's come a long way and he's ready to take one of the um, you know top jobs with a good team. You don't usually get a good team when you are um, you know the new head coach, but he's got one, and uh, we'll see what he can do with the Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady. Well, I hope you're right. Todd's a, a great guy and a Last great back. contributor to the National Football League. Roger. Yeah, the uh, no, he's a, he's a class act, and I'm I'm, I'm sure he's going to going to do uh, you know uh, really well. The you know so the talking about Dan Quinn, uh, do you think he? Well, they, there was there's a lot of speculation, Daryl, that he was going to uh, get a, a head coaching job uh, this season. You know, the all, last off season, and uh, and he stayed with in Dallas, which might be a uh, a really good move because. You don't know what's going to happen there, uh, you know, and uh, he might wind up uh, wind up as the coach of the Cowboys if Sean Payton doesn't come back to coaching. Do you think that's a possibility? Yeah, that's a possibility, no doubt about it, Roger. And I think uh, also, you know, Pete Carroll's not going to coach forever up in Seattle. So uh, you want to watch that one too. Uh, you know, they're going to a uh, new quarterback. They gave up on Russell. He's gonna to try to build it up, and uh, you know if he, uh, you know Pete, Pete's getting up there. I remember when he was a young defensive coordinator uh, back with the Patriots, and uh, that's many, many moons ago now. So uh, if Pete, who, who looks like he's still 38, uh, decides to keep going or, or step back, then Coach Quinn probably be a candidate for that job also. Darrell, do you yeah, disagree yeah. with it with the top picks going into the opening of the season? Buffalo one, Kansas City two, Green Bay three, Los Angeles four, and Tampa Bay five. Since we're talking about Todd, and then you go to Cincinnati at number six. Uh, do you uh, do you uh, in forecasting the year? Do you look at those six teams as maybe the top six to come up? Yeah, that's a good group. Uh, you know, Tennessee, I think, was the best team in the AFC last year. Uh, you know, they um, couldn't overcome the quarterback throwing three interceptions, though. Uh, so, I don't know what you do with Ryan Tannehill over there. Uh, just to make sure he keeps giving it to Derrick Henry, I guess. But, um, you know, Matt Ryan and the Colts are a long shot. I don't know if we mentioned Green Bay in that group. Uh, they could certainly get in the mix. And, you know, there's always a couple surprise teams. And, uh, you know, so from that group, it's uh, you know, that's a bigger lot. Guys like Minnesota are in that group. Maybe the Eagles even coming out of the East, maybe they could uh, uh, blaze a trail to the playoffs and make some noise in uh, a coach's uh, second year. So um, that's a good pick, but uh, I think there are a few more teams to keep an eye on. Roger, you know, one of the other things I neglected to uh, say about uh, Daryl is that uh, former president of the uh, Professional Football's Writers Association and, uh, you know, longtime member. And are your, are your girls out of college now, Daryl? Yes, Roger, they are. One's a uh, TV anchor down in Augusta, and the other one's a uh, art director at the Southwest Fulton uh, Arts Council and a DJ. She. Browse around the country DJing on the weekends. Oh, gee. Well, they're out of the house, right? <laughs> yes, no doubt. They're out of the house. Oh, that's good. I, You know, I have friends that live over in Augusta, and they love it. They went to school over there and, and everything. So and her next step will be back here 
in Big A, I guess. You know, it won't be long. And uh, I mean, the, it's it's a uh, that's great. She's uh, really following uh, in your footsteps uh, in the media. So that, that's terrific. Does uh, uh, is she inter- She's doing news, but I'm sure, right? But uh, is she also a big sports fan? Uh, she does news. She's not a big sports fan, but she uh, she came and covered the World Series. Uh, she uh, just did a series, Eat, Play, Go series at, at Truist Park, and uh, uh, she's going to do one at Mercedes-Benz. She's covered a couple Masters already. So, uh, you know, if you're in Augusta, you're going to have to do some Masters work. So uh, she's flexible, as most young journalists should be. Yeah, there are more questions, Daryl. Uh, one is uh, having been in Green Bay for such a long time before going down and, and uh, taking over your present job, but Green Bay, uh, with their first two picks, two Pick two strong defensive players, and they're the odds-on choice to win their their division. So, uh, an assessment overall for Green Bay: uh, uh, Do you like the picks they made, and, and do you think that they are the clear choice? Yeah, uh, in the uh, in the North, there uh, the Bears are struggling. The Lions are trying to put some stuff together, so you know you can kind of count them out. Minnesota, you know, they probably had their their best run with Kirk Cousins up there, uh, you know, under Coach Zimmer. So um, they're they're kind of rebuilding too. So Green Bay's a clear cut um, uh, team now. They just got to play a little bit better defense. They're gonna need contributions from those rookies. Uh, need to get some guys back like Jair Alexander, uh, Preston Smith. I saw him down here at uh, Casey Hayward's camp. Uh, the big pass rusher. They need some more some more productivity from him and uh, Zadarius Smith. Uh, but yeah, I think Green Bay by default is going to win that division. But are they on par or uh, capable of handling uh, things with the better other uh, uh, top NFC teams like the Rams and Tampa Bay and uh, whatever happens in the East, Dallas or the Eagles? You know, can they make it through two games against the? Uh, the high quality teams in the uh, in the NFC uh, that's uh, that's been left to be seen the last couple of years. They kind of ran out of steam the last couple of years in the playoffs. Roger, yeah, a, a couple of things. I, I I meant it when we were talking about uh, Matt. I brought it up uh, several times uh, over in the, on the show, Daryl. That Matt never had the success in Mercedes Benz Stadium that he had in the uh, Dome. And and I I thought, but I don't say if uh, I don't sense, and you're there all the time. I don't sense the feel, uh, the excitement that's in the new stadium versus the dome. Am I right about that? Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Uh, you know, it's, uh, bigger spaces, fewer people. Uh, you know, the dome was a little bit tighter, uh, and they were winning. So it, it's uh, it's been a struggle in the new stadium for for them. But when you go to the college games, you see how loud it can get. When you go to the SEC championship game or the national playoff game, uh, you know, you've been in uh, the atmosphere of college game, you know the stadium is capable. Now the Falcons got to win and get the fans back in there and out of the bars and so forth, out of the spaces that they created for all this entertainment purposes. You know, people end up going to the games, walking around, never going to their seats. So, yeah, yeah. they got to give them a reason to put them in their seats and get them uh, behind the football there and not the $1 hot dog. Darrell, uh, <laughs> you brought up the foot college football. How about those dogs? How are they going to do? 
Yeah, the dogs are looking good again. They got the quarterback back for his ninth year, it seems like. <laughs> He's a game manager. They've really got to play deep. They've loaded that defense up. You know, he recruits the kids and tell them he's going to play all of them. So he's got about 15, 16 stars on defense. And they just get after you and hope the quarterback doesn't throw it to the other team too much. So uh, that worked for them last year. We'll see if they can do it again that way. Well, you had your early press conference down there and and, uh, uh, a lot of agitation from Texas A&M and Alabama and, of course, Georgia, the winner of last year. doesn't look like there's too much friendly competition there. It's a little tough. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, it's rough down here in the SEC. Yeah, they don't they don't like each other that much. It means more <laughs> down here. It seems like that's legitimate. <laughs> yeah, all you had to do is watch the uh, press conferences over the last couple of days on the SEC network because they're having the media days this week at the uh, right. College Football Hall of Fame, which is I mean gorgeous. I mean. I was involved in that with the football foundation before it was built to get it built. And, uh, but I, I was watching Kirby today and then, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, the Arkansas coach is quite a guy, Daryl. I mean, you know, <laughs> when he talks about being on the beach with a lot, a big body soaking up the sun rays. I mean, he was, he's funny, that guy. And he had a good year, you know, for his first year at Arkansas. Yeah, Sam Pittman, he was a coach at uh, uh, Georgia before he got that job. He helped build their line back up, made them on par with Alabama. Uh, but, you know, uh, some coaches in the NFL didn't like him too much. Uh, as a kid from Georgia that went to Tennessee, I guess they were less than truthful with the NFL scouts about him. And uh, the kid kind of bounced out of the league real quick. Uh, but, yeah, but Coach Pittman's doing a great job in Arkansas. Uh, that's they have wonderful facilities out there. It's just been hard to, you know, amalgamate that and get some talent out of a state that doesn't produce the five stars like you do down here in, in Georgia and uh, Alabama and Florida. But uh, they definitely have some facilities in the Midwest. But he's got Texas to the south of him, Alabama to the west. Uh, it, it's tough sledding out there for Arkansas. I'm in the middle there. Well, what do you think about uh, as they expand now and uh, go to Texas and company beginning in two years? Uh, there was a lot of comments from the Alabama coach in the papers yesterday and today about the conference and about, you know, how many teams are we like, what are we going to do here? We're going to be in a separate <laughs> league. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where that thing's going. Uh, but, uh, you know, you're going to have two 20-team leagues according to Saban. Uh, what do you do with the other thirty schools? You know when they get you know when they get their shot at it. Uh, I don't know. And then you got Vanderbilt. What do you do with Vanderbilt and Northwestern? <laughs> I don't know where it's going. Next, 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 next slot: the uh, Ivy League for Northwestern and Vanderbilt. <laughs> yeah, make it bring Stanford in with them. Stanford and well, yeah, you got, right. Then you got USC and, and Southern Cal. Or- going into the Big Ten, and they're going to go now from Newark, New Jersey <laughs> to <laughs> Los Angeles, California. The Big Ten's going to cover the entire, well, 49 states. Yeah, and this whole thing is all about educating the kids, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> we, don't, we don't mention yeah. when they go to school. <laughs> 
You know, I, I was thinking about a, a good friend of ours, Daryl, the other day. I don't know if you've talked to him in a while. Uh, Don Hunt. Have you have you talked to him at all, Don? You know Don very well, too. Oh, sure. Yeah, I haven't in a while. I thought he retired recently and been uh, uh, keeping a low profile. And I haven't been up the East Coast uh, uh, much here in the last couple of years because, you know, the pandemic. Uh, I'm sure Don's doing well, and uh, that's a retirement well earned. He's a hardworking uh, young man. Oh, yeah. Good guy. Sure very, good very guy. good guy. Yeah, and – uh, we were talking about the the way TV shows are going, and uh, you know NBC Sports in uh, Philadelphia had a tremendous uh, pregame and postgame show with Michael Barkan and uh, uh, Seth Joyner, Ray Dinger, et cetera, and uh, and then Seth uh, Ray retired. Seth uh, said that he would have a future announcement. Well, we got the announcement today. He's going to be doing a show with uh, Mike Missinelli and Derek Gunn and a woman that Don and I, neither one of us have any idea uh, who this young woman is. And uh, they're going to be on the ABC affiliate, but then they're also, it's going to be on YouTube. And we were talking about how the media has changed where all of a sudden there's these new companies coming out of the woodwork, so to speak. And, and putting shows together, and, uh, and we don't know. They say that, that uh, at the end of the Eagles game, 6ABC is going to break in and do this post-game show. And we're thinking, well, what about if there's a golf match on? What do you do? <laughs> you jump in? You know, who knows? We're at a loss for words, Daryl, I'll tell you. Yeah, it's, uh, I saw somebody announcing that they were going to heavy.com. And I'm like, what's heavy.com? And uh, he's got, I guess he's an NFL writer. And uh, we had a bunch of writers leave last year for another website thing. Uh, uh, Greg Beasley down in Miami. I'm trying to still figure out um, that that pro football site. But, uh, yeah, streaming and the digital platforms are way of the future. Uh, and I guess some people may be ahead of the curve or – or, um, you know, just venturing out into some different atmospheres. I mean, the newspaper day is uh, probably, you know, winding down where we'll have a Sunday paper, but not uh, we're going to have a digital paper. I'm happy to report our digital description, uh, subscriptions are up. And so, oh, great. Um, you know, the brands that have been out there, they're just going to be online now. And, and uh, you know, I got to do a podcast. I don't do much streaming, but... Uh, there are going to be some digital uh, demands in the future that um, take over some of the writing demands, perhaps. But, uh, yeah, it's a different changing landscape from uh, the old three networks and uh, newspapers and the radio stations. Larry, you gave us very good information last year this time because uh, we talked about the defensive secondary uh, uh, of the dogs and how many they were going to lose, either graduation or whatever. And you said, don't worry about it, because they've got six people coming in to take their place. And those six people proved to be pretty pretty doggone good. Did they do the same thing this year? Did they get a bunch of, of players coming in uh, that we didn't expect? Yeah, well, they had a lot of kids that um, that um, they, they didn't have to work the transfer portal as well as hard. They had a lot of kids as sophomores that played a little bit last year. Now they're gonna their roles will increase 
But uh, the main guy is Jalen Carter. They had all those. They had the 15 players get drafted and all those guys on defense. But when I was at the combine, all the um, coaches wanted to know was about who is this Jalen Carter kid. So Jalen is uh, he's number five, I believe. Big uh, six foot six, good looking in. He's gonna um, you know get a lot of attention this year. And they got some younger players that are all ahead and step forward and. Uh, uh, some of the is, is he a junior this year or a sophomore? What 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 year is he in? Junior, this is uh, Carter's third year, so it'll be his last year. He'll go on into the league after this draft. Okay. After this season, into the draft. Yeah, he was he the the uh, the uh, a fellow they interviewed at the media day. I think it was Carter, where one of his buddies yeah yeah that's him sort of, yeah he's that one was of the top him, right? players in the country. Yeah, and his buddy put him down, his teammate. And he says, but he's supposed to be my friend. You know, <laughs> it, was, it, was a side, it was a great sidelight, you know, to, uh, uh, to the story, you know, because he's got a personality. And, and, and really, you can tell uh, he'll be very successful in life, you know, with, uh, with the way he interviews. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt about it, guys. Right. So they've got a host of others other than him that are going to step to the fore this year who are stepping up. they got a little bit of time last year are going to make that move right up at the front line this year. Is that correct? That is correct. They'll win the uh, East and uh, probably see Alabama again in the championship game. <laughs> well, pretty strong. That's pretty strong talk. What about Texas A&M? <laughs> well, they got to come out of the West, and I think Nick Nick Saban's gonna have something to say about that. <laughs> yeah, and you know, Daryl, you know, uh, your uh, alma mater has uh, produced some good uh, talent, and and it seems like it, it, uh, Howard's getting a lot more recognition now. Yeah, we got Edgar and James's son. They'll open uh, coming in to play tailback. That could flip the whole thing in the uh, in the uh, MEAC. Uh, having a good quality, got good quality quarterbacking and passing. Our coach Larry Scott came from Florida. We uh, opened up the season on August the 27th here in Atlanta against Alabama State in the MEAC SWAC Challenge. So, uh, yeah, the um, fortunes at Howard are looking up this year. We're expecting a big year from the Bison. Well, Daryl, thank you so very, very much, as always, for joining us. We'll always join you more as the football time. season unfolds, both of the from the uh, Atlanta Falcons standpoint as well as the dog standpoint, because I think it's going to be another great season in the SEC. And, of course, we hope for the best for you for the Atlanta Falcons, but they're going to struggle a little bit. But thank you very much. You're welcome, guys. Thanks for having me, Roger and Bob. You guys and Frank, you guys take care. Thanks for having me. Okay, you thank too, you. Darryl. Thanks so much. God bless. Take All righty. Bye now. Mike Zimzak, ready to go right now. He's in the Baltimore, Washington area. He joins us each week. We talk primarily about soccer at the top, but uh, always get into the, the National Football League as well as the baseball front in Washington, D.C. and in Baltimore. And I want to start a little bit with Baltimore since we're on a hiatus today and uh, talk a little about those Orioles because they are certainly showing a lot of promise in the last four weeks of the, before the All-Star break. You know, the bookies had them at 2,500 to 1 to win the World Series at the beginning of the season. There are some bookies right now that are facing in the neighborhood of seven-figure liabilities 
see if the Orioles keep playing like this, and they're scrambling to adjust the odds. So, it, uh, hey, keep going, O's. Stick it to Vegas. I always like it when that happens. The trading deadline not too far off, and so much conversation, and Baltimore has a couple of players that are right on the front line. Uh, and yet, uh, Doug Hamilton, a good friend of ours, will join us later on in the program. Uh, he's sort of hopeful that they won't do too much changing in Baltimore because of the chemistry. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I would like to see them um, keep what they had. You know, I think one of the big issues is offense for that team. They could definitely use some more batting uh, if they're able to get that, but keep this core of the team together. Uh, that'll be that would be perfect and set them up to make a run down the the stretch because they've certainly gotten some great starting pitching and some really good bullpen work. I, I just and they've got a couple of good young players. The catcher there is just been <laughs> phenomenal. Uh, I want to see them keep as much as they can together and not just say, oh, look, we've got some pieces right now. You know, let's just sell and trade high while, while the stock is good and start yeah. rebuilding again. Great. Roger? Yeah. <clears throat> Mike, you know, the, uh, I was just reading a uh, press release uh, about the Atlanta United 2 uh, signed uh, – a player uh, you may be familiar with him because he's been on the international stage, Tony Tienti, and they signed him for the rest of the year. Uh, he's originally from Paris, played over there in Europe, obviously. The uh, does uh, when you're at that second level uh, professional uh, league, so to speak. Uh, what are the chances of a a player that's signed for the rest of the season, which is still several months? Uh, to go, what are the chances of him moving up and playing with the uh, the big club? Um, you know, it depends a lot on the team. You know, the Philadelphia Union, for one, team that loves to promote from within, so they're constantly looking down at their uh, Philadelphia Union two roster to bring guys up, kind of like a major league ball club might. You, you know, mm-hmm. hey, we've got this guy like, or you know, using it as a team way, those games as a way to give guys who may be on the fringes of the Major League Soccer roster some extra minutes so that they can continue to develop. A kid coming over like this young man is, is going to hope to make an impression at that second level for the remainder of the season with an eye next year to uh, latching on with the big team. Of course, if he's playing really, really well in the USL Pro League, that second division where the uh, Major League Soccer teams, developmental teams play, uh, and the Atlanta United season continues to go the way that it has, you know, he may Mm -hmm. get the call up. You know, there may be some games late in the season where guys are injured or, you know, uh, the occasional cup match if they have them where he could get on the roster. It's probably likely a signing with an eye to see um, if, you know, does this kid have it? Uh, Can we bring him up? You know, he's got that European pedigree that a lot of teams want. So kind of a low-risk, high-reward type deal. But the fact Mm -hmm. that they brought him into the 
Atlanta United too, not the major league side, indicates that they're still looking to see some development from this young man. Mm-hmm. How do you rate the league right now? It's a, uh, you come down, not the home stretch, but getting closer to the home stretch. Uh, well, as far as Major League Soccer goes, it's definitely been uh, an interesting season. I think the overall quality of play amongst the teams is at probably one of its higher levels that I've seen. And I love the fact that we're not as reliant on retiring European stars to come over. And this is positive because it's giving an opportunity to younger um, homegrown players, be they younger American players, um, certainly, you know, other players from South America, Central America. So we're getting to see some of these younger players who we will hope to see as they move on through the the leagues. Um, And I think the overall competition is good. Now, you're starting now to see a smattering of the old European stars. Uh, Lorenzo Insigne, who won the Euros with Italy just last summer, has signed, and he's available now for Toronto FC. The biggest two names are um, Giorgio Chiellini, who is an absolute legend for Italy, and Juventus, who signed a free agent contract to play at LAFC, along with Gareth Bale, the uh, renowned Welsh international and uh, former Real Madrid player. But it's clear from the way they're doing business that LAFC is looking around and saying that they only have maybe two more years with their star Carlos Vela. And the best that they've got to show for this you know, six-year run is a supporter shield and a conference semifinal exit. So they're looking to win now. Uh, I think the league is just about as competitive as I've seen it be in a long time. And you can take a look at, you know, about five or six teams in MLS and say they certainly have a chance to win it all, including the Philadelphia Union. Roger? Yeah, I'm looking at the standings right now, Mike. Uh, Union are at the top, uh, and they've they've won 10, lost two, tied nine. And then uh, New York City uh, Football Club is uh, 11 and four, uh, and they've played one less. And then the uh, you're right, the New York Red Bulls and Montreal, Orlando uh, City, um, the United are playing against the uh, Galaxy uh, uh, this weekend uh, in mm-hmm. L.A. But uh, you know it, it's it is. I mean, it's really a a very uh, interesting situation. You're right. I mean. Uh, it's 39 points, then 38, 33, 32, 30. So the first, what, five, six clubs are all separated at 10 points. Yeah, and the union have been extremely good defensively. Uh, they're just miserly. The issue that they had through so much of, uh, I would say, May, June, and into July was they just could not score goals. And that's why you're looking at a team that has only two losses. But those nine draws, uh, were they even to convert two or three, four of them, they would be running away with the Eastern Conference right now. They just have not 
been able to score. Now, the last couple of games, you know, the White has come on. They've scored a couple of goals. Uh, their last game against the New England Revolution, they went down one nothing and scored two. The game before that, they set an MLS record and beat D.C. United 7 to nothing. So mm. we're hoping that that can carry forward, that they can continue to get production because, you know, the inability to score has been – issue for them this season and it's been an issue for them in the past and that's been what has stood uh stood in the way of them getting to an mls cup final advancing in the playoffs having a run that's commensurate with their regular season success um likewise you look out west uh lafc uh seattle out there both really two really really strong teams seattle becoming the first MLS team to win the CONCACAF uh, Champions League. So they'll be the first MLS club uh, next year to go over and represent North America in the Club World Cup where they'll get to play the likes of the Euro- defending European champions, Real Madrid. So a great time. So, yeah, that's a good club, and that's what I'm saying. I think it's, you know, this is probably as competitive and the highest level of competition I've seen in the MLS in a long time, if ever. But, Mike, the, Mike, the problem is if you can't score, not very many games are won with nothing, nothing. And uh, when, it, when you get into the more competitive action as we go down toward the finals, you've got to be able to score, don't you? Well, I think the hope is that after, as we get into the second half of the season with uh, 16 games or um, 12 games left to play, right. um, that the strikers who were both new additions, Carranza and Michael Ure, were both new to the team. Um, they got off the slow starts, but you know maybe they, they found their goal-scoring form and the offense will kick into gear. And so these draws that were draws because they weren't scoring, they'll be able to get more wins. And on the back of, you know, two pretty quality wins for this team, you know, like any scorer in any sport, sometimes you just need to see the ball go into the back of the net, right? And we talked about Allen Iverson and other shooters in the NBA. Sometimes they just need to see the ball go through the net once or twice, and then it just clicks on. So I know Jim Curtin would rather have – an offense that sputtered in the first half of the season and, and is starting to get into gear and get into the groove now as we get into the stretch run as opposed to one that was humming early and then has the wheels fall off late. Roger? Just just like in the NFL, okay? Exactly. It's not, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Yeah. And, look, if they can continue to be as good defensively, that's what you want to do is, is just make it hard on other teams to score. Uh, and, you know, hope that your strikers can, and can start capitalizing on the chances that they get. And so they're creating more chances, and now you're seeing the uh, forward line for the union be able to put the ball in the back of the net with a little more consistency, get multiple goals uh, for the first and consecutive games for the first time, I believe, almost all season. So uh, we'll see as they get back into it uh, this weekend where they stand and how they move forward for the remaining 12 games of the season. Mike, back to the National Football League, which you're close to as well, and uh, the Commanders. Uh, what do you think new? Uh, anything you'd like to touch on with the Commanders as we look forward to the opening of training camps and uh, what's happening in the National Football League? Well, they've gotten uh, the, the big thing that was left for the Commanders to do was get the uh, Terry McLaurin deal done. 
Whether or not there's any movement on Deron Payne remains to be seen. So they got Terry McLaurin signed. He's back in the fold. And as they get ready to open up training camp, you know, they've got their number one weapon. There's been a lot of praise throughout the uh, early season for uh, their first-round draft pick, Jahan Dotson. Uh, They think that he's looked really good. Uh, Carson Wentz, uh, people have been very effusive with how they've talked about Carson Wentz down here. But, again, you know, these are OTAs. Um, They're playing, what, seven-on-seven you know, no contact is getting, um, right. you know, no, as low stakes as it can possibly get. So the n- news surrounding the team on the field uh, has been re- relatively quiet for the last couple of uh, weeks as they get ready to go into training camp. And you know what? I honestly think right now that Ron Rivera, given the off season that they have had, will absolutely take a little bit of quiet as he gets ready to uh, open up training camp in the preseason. Mike, he's got to win this year, doesn't he? I mean, he can't not be on a hot seat this year. He's got to win. And one of the issues is, again, just how much control he was given of this organization. He, you know, he is in all but title running the whole entire football organization, not just the team on the field, not just the coaching, but, you know, the GMs and the scouts and all of that, the player personnel guys, those are his guys. Those are his hires. So he's got to win. He was the one who made the decision to trade for Carson Wentz. He was the one that made the decision to draft Jahan Dotson and then the uh, defensive tackle out of Auburn. Um, so he has to win, you know. And to be honest, you know, he's – I love Ron. I think that Ron is a great coach, but he's not a coach that has – you know, in his tenure, he's only had three winning seasons. Now, those three winning seasons have been pretty good uh, and include a Super Bowl, but, you know, he hasn't had a winning season in a little bit. And even that uh, NFC East championship two years ago – was a 7-19, and right? So he's got all the pieces. He says he believes that every, having everybody back, having all the players, having a steady hand at quarterback now will be the tonic that, that makes everything go. So, yeah, I believe that uh, I'm with you. I think that he definitely has to win. And, you know, I would say even winning, like, double-digit games, I think a 10-7 and seven season for Ron – is about the floor. Even if you go like nine and eight, I don't, I'm not a hundred percent sure how that books for him. Roger, well, do you can they achieve that record uh, that you think, Mike? You know, like I eleven think... and uh, eleven and, and six, uh, ten and ten and seven. Can they do that? I really don't know. A lot of it is going to come down to the unknowns, and there are a lot surrounding this team. You know, what Carson Wentz are you getting? Are you getting that MVP caliber Carson Wentz from before he tore his ACL? Are you getting even the Carson Wentz that started the season in Indianapolis last year and had some success? Or are you getting the end of the last season, uh, end of his tenure with the Eagles, Carson Wentz, who was just, you know, making risky throws and holding on to the ball too long with, and making these risky throws and was a turnover machine, you know, 
right. Scott, um, Scott Turner's offense is based on, you know, short, accurate, quick passes. Carson has proven over his tenure that he's a guy who likes to make the riskier throw, hang on to the ball a little bit longer. How is he going to function? You know, on the other side, this was a defense last year that was supposed to be among the best in the league. You know, you came in and Montez Sweat and Chase Young are talking about setting sack records, and they got absolutely gashed, and they were in well down in the lower third of the league, and they were rock bottom in the league in third down percentage. You know, can they improve? And even if they do improve, is that enough to get them in a division? Look, the Eagles are much better. We know the Cowboys may not be as good as they were on offense, but they're still a really strong team. You know, is that going to be enough? And I honestly don't know. I think, you know, I think I said 10-7 and seven was a season that he needed to have, but I don't know if this team can actually get there. Mm-hmm. Roger? Well, there's there's no doubt about it. I'm I'm with you. I think Ron Rivera is definitely on the uh, hot seat, and uh, and he was really given total control of the team. The um, uh, any anything more up to date about the Daniel Snyder situation than we know, where it's been a hot topic, and they subpoenaed him, and uh, he's in the well, south he- of France. I think, like we said last week. Yeah, he continues to be on his boat. Uh, they believe the negotiation is for him to testify versus video conference, but uh, that remains to be seen. But I'm going to be honest, guys, and switch gears real quick because I have only a couple minutes left before Doug comes on, and I we got to talk about this. But, you know, let's be honest. Juan Soto the last week has absolutely knocked the uh, commanders off of the forefront of Washington sports with first the rejection of the, the uh, 15 year, 440, um, $440 million contract. And but then Mike, what can I say? I mean, really, I agree with you. It's, it's not everybody off the pages, but what could actually happen? They're not going to trade it before the trading deadline. Uh, I mean, it's, it's going to be status quo at least until the end of the season, even if they could do anything then. I think if they can, get a decent trade for him uh, if teams are able to come up with this package of prospects that they would need. And let's be honest, this is like a Herschel Walker-esque deal. We've never seen anything like this in Major League Baseball. A player of his stature who's only 23 with two more Yeah, but you don't have enough time. You don't, you don't have enough time between now and the trading deadline to – at least I don't I think, think so. That, Let me put it that way. I don't think they have enough time. I, I don't know, but I know that somewhere in New York and Boston and L.A. and possibly Chicago, there are teams on top of teams of nerds sitting around on core balls, type, pouring over laptops and statistics, trying to come up with uh, prospect packages that they might be able to ship to uh, DC. Um, I gotta believe that whether that they're gonna try, right? And even if he does not get, if you're well, you say New York, you say New York, Mike. But uh, first of all, you know uh, they're not gonna trade him to a team in their own division. They're not gonna trade him to the New York Mets, for instance, because they'll be playing against him for the next 15 years. They're not gonna do that. Are they gonna trade him to the Yankees? Well, the Yankees have enough problems of their own. 
trying to figure out what they're going to do with Judge. I mean, they're going to give him $500 million to play and stay in New York. Uh, so I, I think New York is a very limited option for making any kind of a trade to get him. Oh, I, I well, totally MLB, MLB Radio, uh, excuse me, Mike was talking about it, okay, uh, I gave uh, in the, mo- the morning show. And uh, the I thought, I, I agree with you. Uh, it's a package, but I would think that the teams, that all the teams that are interested, and it would be every team that would like to have them, but the ones that can really afford them be with the right package, they know exactly now what the package is. And it's got to be prospects that are ready or almost ready to come to the major leagues to help the Nets. I, I think, though, that the thing is, though, how do you, do you have enough prospects to get him, run the risk of doing it for two years, and balance out the potential ruin of your minor league organization, Right. Because um, you're basically, to get Juan Soto, going to be gutting your minor league organization and trading out. Well, also, Mike, you've got to sign him for the full the full tilt. You can't take the two years, two and a half years he has remaining and, and make a trade for that and make him a free agent the other two and a half years. If you're going to make an offer to him, you're going to have to make an offer that's going to cover what he wants. Uh, the extension, I would think yeah, so, with the new but, yeah. You know, he seems Scott Boris seems very, very intent on taking him to free agency, which I feel like, and therein I think is going to be the interesting thing because you've got Scott Boris who is working on the contract and interested in taking him to free agency, but then teams negotiating with the Nats for the trade deal. You know, the Nats are going to want a haul that they believe is apropos to get him, and other right. teams are going to say, you know, look. We don't know that we're getting a guy for the next 17 years. We may only be getting a guy for the next two. And, yes, he's an all-world player, but, you know, he's an all-world player that's hitting 250 right now. So, you know, I think this might be a – I think, Don, you're right, it might take some time. But I think also if this goes to the winter meetings, if it goes into the off season, he still hasn't signed a contract, which he doesn't seem like he's likely to do. I do believe that given what Washington has to work with, that that was just about the best offer that they could come up with reasonably. Um, the package is going to go down because now you're not going to have a season and a half of team control. You're going to have one season of team control. So, you know, will Washington be willing to lower their, their expectations if they get there to the winter meetings and into the off season where they have a little bit more time to scout, diagnose, decide what they want. Right. I, I buy that. I, I just don't see how they could do anything in a short period of time remaining before the trading deadline. I just, I, I think it's going to have to, he's going to have to compete in Washington until the end of the season. And then, uh, then the negotiations will start uh, all the way through the off season. That, that would be my, uh, my personal guess. I think that you're right on the situation. I think what Washington is hoping happens is that some teams get really, 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 really super eager and offer up these tremendous like packages that you just and somebody right. makes them an offer right now that they just can't refuse. In their mind, by putting that out there that they were willing to accept deals, they're hoping that they can convince a Yankees or a Red Sox or a Dodgers 
who that feel like they have a legitimate shot to sign him long term, that they can create a frenzy for him now and just get that package that could shape the organization moving forward for the next generation. Roger? Well, it'll it'll be very interesting to see uh, where, if he winds up with a different team. And, uh, you know, what are the chances that uh, the Nats uh, uh, would keep him if they can uh, – the Orioles were dead in water in the last few years. And look at them now. What are the chances that the Nats could turn it around in a year uh, or so, Mike? I mean, you know the um, better than us the minor league system that they have. Well, uh, Victor Robles was about the top end of their minor league system along with Juan Soto. So they don't have a whole lot down there that looks major league ready. Uh, most of their top guys, their plus-plus guys that we were thinking, they've already been promoted. The team is up for sale, as we know. So there's going to be a lot of hesitancy on the part of any group to outlay uh, significant sums of money long-term. Mike, let me hold you right there because Doug's on the line. Let's bring Doug in so he can hear what you're saying so we don't repeat the same thing, you know, in the next half hour that we're talking about now. We'll let him get Mm -hmm. to hear your views, and then we'll go from there. Doug, are you with us yet? Yeah, I'm here. I'm alive. Okay. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, we're talking about the Nats being in possible sale. Yeah, so what I was saying, so they're they're being sold, and they're going to – you also have the fact that both the manager and the general manager are out of contract at the end of this year. Um, so, and finally, and Doug can attest to this, there's the issue with the media rights, which have been tied up with the Angelos family for the better part of 14 years, waiting for that yeah. money. And there's still the lack of revenue coming in from Masson and the Angelos family, so you've got a team that should be at or near the top of the revenue standings who's only really making about 30% of the television revenue that they're owed. So there's not that's part of the reason why they don't have the money to spend. You're looking at paying somebody like Juan Soto almost a quarter of the entire franchise value based on you know what their revenue is. So that is, Roger, to say I don't think that they have it in them to turn it around real quickly and all of a sudden become this team like the O's that's a young, exciting team that could change Juan Soto's mind and get him to stay and to commit his future uh, for the next you know, decade and a half to staying in this or, uh, in this, with that organization. When does that contract with Masters that's uh, – they're not going to have enough time to trade him before the trading deadline. That they're going to be able to, they're going to have to, not be able to, but they're going to have to wait until the end of the season, and then not start negotiating with a number of different teams that would, in fact, be interested in spending that kind of money. Uh, your observations, Doug. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's pretty spot on. Um, you know, I remember when the Orioles had Manny Machado and they were in a scenario where they knew that they weren't going to re-sign him. And 
I mean, you're you're up against the wall on that concept of negotiations because teams know that you're not going to resign the guy. So what are they going to give you in, in return for him? You know, so if, if you trade Juan Soto now, you're, you're probably making a knee-jerk reaction unless, you know, like Mike said, some team just throws so much stuff in a basket that you can't refuse it. Um, but to Juan Soto, you know, he I don't think he wants to sign a 15-year deal because, you know, I think he'd rather sign three five-year deals, you know, because he's going to make more money doing that than he is a long-term deal. Um, well, he's got know. the agent I mean, to do it. <laughs> Well, I mean, the, the Nats well, aren't a very good baseball team, and their minor league system isn't very good. And as we've seen, the Orioles have just in some ways turned the corner here in terms of being 500 at the All-Star break, but they were terrible for four years, and you can't rebuild that overnight, and they have nothing. And so. it does take time. My question uh, was, when does the Nats massing contract end? Do either one of you know? I Doug, know. I believe it's still got like seven years left. Well, I was going to say, I don't think it's any time soon, but... Yeah, it's not well, any time because, Yeah, because, I mean, you look at what NBC Sports Philadelphia, the impact they had on the Phillies financially when they gave them uh, the contract that they're on now a few years ago. Right. Monumental. Monumental yeah. was right. And and it, because before that... Uh, they and and they also are on NBC Ten a couple of games, but before that the uh, they were also on uh, Seventeen, PHL Seventeen for a number a lot more games than they're on Ten today. Let me tell you, and uh, you know and, and they were on uh, uh, cable and everything, but the uh, new contract from NBC Sports that changed everything around. And that's why I was wondering when the Masson contract expired because then NBC Sports DC uh, could uh, give them a lot of money to help that uh, change the picture of that franchise economically. Yeah. Well, and that presupposes well, that I believe there's also a thing in there that gives Masson the right of first refusal. Now, of course, you've got to understand, you know, the how how ingrained are the Angeloses into doing this, um, Roger? But you also bring up very, another point, which is Look, the way that people are accessing this content has changed radically to the point where the Red Sox and Nesson have just basically untied themselves from regional cable. They're going on an app, and if you want to play the twenty nine ninety nine a month, you can watch the Red Sox broadcast from pretty much everywhere. And Manfred has said that he wants to do away with the, uh, the blackout rules and, and kind of open up this, and the still the Nats are caught in this awful contract where, as this stuff happens, uh, they're still tied to Masson and Baltimore Orioles. And it, it's cost them already, and it looks like it, by the end of this deal, it will be tremendously costly for them. And so far, they'll be so far behind the remainder of their competitors, it's going to take forever to, check, uh, to, to catch up for them. Well, I think you also have to figure in, too, that, uh, you know, with the cap situation the way it is, uh, you know, what teams, in making this kind of a trade and this kind of a sign, if you're going to, let's say you're going to go for the whole contract, as Doug said, maybe three five-year contracts would be much better for them. Maybe that's what Boris is looking for. I don't know. But 
no matter what it is, you're going to have to be a team that's willing to go way over the cap in order to sign this guy. I mean, the the yeah. the, uh, the Mets what gave a 44 44 million to Scherzer for three years, and, and you know you got to have a lot of money to go over the cap and pay all this. Not many teams can do that. Right. Yeah. Well, well Cora, uh, I got to run. Bryce Harper's uh, agent when Harper signed that huge long-term uh, contract. So you don't know, but. Uh, is I wanted to ask this: Is Comcast the major uh, cable provider in the uh, Baltimore, uh, Washington area? Yes. Okay. You know, like in New York, uh, you see it in and uh, areas of North Jersey, it's uh, Spectrum, uh, and in other areas, you know, it was the old Charter, which I think is Spectrum now. Central New Jersey, yeah. Don, as you know, uh, is Whoa. I think that's Spectrum. Yeah, you are well, over there. I think in Mercer it was different. But the, what I'm thinking is that, uh, you know, Comcast owns NBC Sports. And uh, who's to say that they don't make a deal with Masson and give them a lot of money to get out of the deal? I don't know. I'm just throwing things out that I think are possibilities. Yeah, yeah I... I... I'm a I'm a, a direct TV guy, you know. I think that the allure of direct TV was the NFL Sunday ticket for me, um, you know. So that moving from where I did to where I am now, I wasn't sure if if Washington was going to be, you know, my home station or if I was going to be able to still get the Ravens. Uh, so I, I I opted for the NFL Sunday ticket. Well, well I think also, Doug, and you know better than all of us that uh, you follow the Orioles so closely. They've just, been, <clears throat> yeah. excuse me, they just build up their minor league system. They're just starting to replenish and yeah. build and create a, a legitimate major league team, which they haven't had for four years. They're just beginning right. to do that now. They they certainly can't turn around and give up a bunch of players to get, you know, one no. guy. No, no. Well, I no. think I think you're going to see them probably make some deals, but, I, you know, obviously my hope is that they don't fire sale and, 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 and get rid of, you know, everybody they can because if you actually look at the Orioles minor league system and you look at their top 30 players, you know, there's a lot of players that probably aren't going to play a major league game for another three to five years in addition to, you know, the number one overall draft pick that they just made. You know, he's created a wheel of the next I don't know, four to eight years worth of prospects that exist in, in the minor league system. I mean, you know, there's six shortstops on the top 30 list that he just, you know, that just came out with, you know, so, you know, one thing they don't really have a lot of, in my opinion, is a lot of arms in the minor leagues, um, which, you know, I don't know if that means that in the future they're going to spend some money on that or not, but, you know, they have a good nucleus of, players uh, that are already at the major league level and some that are not too far behind and some that are not too far behind that. And, you know, I think the Orioles might be the top farm system in, in baseball. If they're not, they're top five, um, you know, so. Yeah. Well, the Cardinals are in, in that category because you look at the starting lineup and, and uh, I think they have the most rookies in the starting lineup. The Cardinals do this year, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, 
they replenish every year. Oh my God, yeah. that guy threw a hundred and he threw a hundred and three last night, and he's not even the hardest thrower on their team. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that shows you the the systems. The Cardinals are, are to me uh, the epitome. Are uh, uh, not the epitome. They they are the gold standard of the right way to do things. They start at the very bottom at low A, and it comes all the way to the major leagues. They teach the same thing. Yeah, same way. Well, I would I would tell you that the hiring of Mike Elias obviously has changed the landscape of, you know, not just the Orioles, but the manner in which he does things, you know, rule five drafts, uh, waiver wire pickups, uh, you know, different trades that he's, that he's made. Um, you know, he, he's very quickly um, restocked that farm system and the metrics that they use. We know that analytics is a huge part of the game. Um, he's also been really good because, not this draft, but last year's draft, the pick that they made, they, they, they paid him the under-slot value, so they had extra money, which allowed them to spend more money in other, you know, competitive rounds, which is how he got, you know, um, Gunnar Henderson and, and Jordan Westbrook, which are in the pipeline to be your next pair of middle infielders for the Orioles in about a year. So I'm curious to see, after drafting Jackson Holiday number one overall, what they pay this guy because that slot value was worth – some eight point three million, you know. So if you only pay him six and a half, seven million, you save that money that you can then reallocate uh, for some of your other players to get them signed. So he's been pretty cagey with, you know, how he's built this team, and we'll, we'll see what happens, you know, moving forward into the trade deadline. Whether he just completely pulls the plug on this, or like like Don said, I don't suspect that the Orioles are going to be a buyer in this market. Um, because I don't know that they want to spend any of their resources to get anybody else, nor do I think in the American League East this year that, that they're going to have enough anyway. Um, but they've shown some really good signs of, of good, good, vibrant baseball, which has been fun to watch again. Mike, let's get back to you for a minute. How close – I mean, I read – I guess it was yesterday or today. Uh, you know, they keep saying that they're going to be sold, they're going to be sold – how how far away do you think this sale is going to be? Because uh, the commissioner did announce definitely that uh, there was not going to be. A, they talked about expansion. There was definitely wasn't going to be an expansion, and he got the Rays and the uh, Oakland A's settled. If they don't get settled, the stadiums and all, they're not making any uh, expansion in baseball, which I don't think they should make anyway. But uh, in my view, uh, uh, what's your what's your view on Washington? Uh, are they going to be able to make a deal there? Somebody going they're talking about two to three billion dollars to buy that team. John, Mike had to uh, I, I th- leave. Yeah. Oh, Mike's not with us. Okay. No. Well, Doug, what do you think? Do you do you think somebody's going to spend two or to three billion dollars and and not have anything yet? I, I don't think so. Um, no, I don't. I think uh, as Mike, I think laid the groundwork of an organization that's got some serious issues. Um, you know, I guess we can we can ping pong that back to the Orioles that the the Angelos family itself is is you know having their own you know inner inner problems with not being right. able to get along and you know you can look back to and I know that uh, Roger had mentioned this way back to the home what was it home team sports or whatever 
D'Angelo's family never wanted the Nationals to come here anyway. He never wanted to share any of that massive money. And he's been fighting them tooth and nail for the existence of that club. Um, You know, I mean, to have two teams in in the same market, you know, is not good for anybody, really, from a financial standpoint, I don't think. so. Well, legally, um, they weren't supposed to be able to do that. I mean, that was part of the, the, you know, the agreement they had, Major League Baseball, you had to have an area... You know, not impeding on somebody else's territory. That was well, right. especially when the the senators, uh, you know, moved out, went to what Texas, right? And uh, the Rangers, Major League Baseball did it themselves. They're the ones that put the Washington team in Washington. Oh, ab- ab- absolutely. Listen, I remember they when it, it to, happened. They did Don. it to Baltimore themselves. Yeah, I remember <laughs> when it was done, and 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 uh, Doug's exactly right. I can remember when the Angelos family bought the Orioles, and uh, you know they had exclusivity. And then, but and just think, in the old days when you had the Senators, you had both teams in the American League. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I, I I'll tell you, uh, for this to come up just before the All Star game, I'm gonna, let's change something for a minute. Because we talked to everybody that's been on the show tonight so far, Doug. What did you think of the All Star Game? Um, well, I, I thought the game itself uh, was was excellent baseball. I mean, three to two. I think that you know the, the the pitching staff on both squads I thought were you know on point in terms of uh, you know just good solid pitching. I um, mean, both of those lineups were ridiculous with the stars they had and. The home runs they've hit, the runs. I mean, Aaron Judge's numbers at the All Star break were almost as good as the year that Kirk Gibson won the MVP for the whole entire season. Amazing. I mean, Amazing. It's it's ridiculous. But what what I thought was interesting is, you know, if you look at some of the players on either team, I thought that there were a lot of players that didn't necessarily deserve to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, Statistic, statistically, I mean, you have a lot of things. You have obviously a, a popularity contest uh, for for the starting nine, um, but but beyond that, you know, this you have to have one representative BS. But th- th- you know, th- there were probably two or three players on the Orioles that were better than you know half a dozen or a dozen of the players on on the respective squads on either side. Like you know, when we went to uh, Chicago to watch the Orioles play in Wrigley. The fans around us were all so excited for Ian Happ because he was an all-star. And I looked at his numbers, and I'm like, whoop-de-doo. You know what I mean? Like, how did this guy get in? So, <laughs> you know, there, there were a lot of players on either side, if you look at those rosters, that I don't think were the truest reflection of the best, you know, either well, I can tell you one thing. Manny Machado did not uh, disappoint when he hit that grand ball down this, to, well, I don't forget, shortstop or second base, probably hit it. He didn't get 30 yeah. feet down toward first base before he made the right turn. <laughs> right. He, he did his he did his normal hot trot 30 feet and goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was that was one of the reasons why you know he you know from a a Baltimore standpoint we all knew that he was super talented but we also knew that you know when it came down to it he he wasn't going to put in the hustle and you know put in the work because he was already so talented so. It didn't hurt my feelings to see the Orioles trade him, but I, but I, I think the whole what they got in the He thought he was going to go to the New York Yankees. He was sure he was yeah. before the uh, before the trade was made that he was going to go to the Yankees, and uh, yeah, uh, it, it never it never happened. 
Well, they, the Orioles didn't get enough in return for him. That's about all I can say about that. Well, as I say, it's a, what do you what do you think of the overall concept? Though you know, you and I can talk about it, and we did show yeah. with other guests. The game itself, I agree with you. Uh, you know, the pitching was great. Uh, a, a three to two, a three to two game would be uh, uh, normally very, well, very, uh, uh, you know, very exciting to I watch. Think- but what what did you I think, think of the League, overall presentation of what they did? Yeah, I think Major League Baseball gets it right. I mean, they have they have the futures game, they have the home run derby, they have the draft, they have the All Star game. I mean, it's all in that weekend, which they just absolutely do a really good job of engaging the fans and and interjecting baseball on all levels uh, for for people to watch and enjoy. And I think they just do a really really good job of the entire four days, three days, whatever it is. So, so you liked all the players talking on mics and all the stuff that went on yeah, during the game. I, it's a show. I mean, you know, it's it, it's it's wild. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> I I think as a player, I would find it hard to to concentrate on both. But um, I, I'd like to get, especially when the pitcher, that guy Nestor Cortez, when he came in to pitch, and he was, you could hear him talking to his catcher. And he was telling his catcher what he wanted to throw. I thought that was very insightful, and for the people that watch the game, they don't they don't get to hear that kind of stuff on a normal basis, and you get to go inside of, of a major league pitcher's head to see what he's thinking, and I thought that was great. Um, so, uh, I I I just I just um, I can't get accustomed to it. I, I you know it's I guess it's nice to hear, but to me it was a, like the Three Stooges. I mean, going to the <laughs> dugout, running up to people, asking, "Well, yeah, they put." The, I mean, you know, big poppy. I mean, I guess I guess it's entertainment for some people. I don't know. I I watch all, a baseball game. I watch is. a baseball game. I watch a baseball game because a three-two game should be a tremendously interesting game to watch. Yeah, I couldn't watch that game. That, yeah, but let's compare that to. I mean, the the NBA All Star game's a joke. The Pro Bowl's a joke. No, I, I don't. Come on, well, you're right about that. You know, yeah. I don't. I don't even watch so, that. So I don't. I, and I That's had a tough time watching this one last night because I don't like all that stuff. I just, to me, I want to see a baseball game as a reason to play. This is an exhibition okay. for guys. Okay, fine, it's an exhibition, but still play the game. Not the, oh my God! Every time you turn around, <laughs> or something wacky. Yeah, I mean, well. it, I don't know. Just it, it's not for me. I'm I'm, I'm old. <laughs> well, well, we know, both I, we both are. Okay, Doug's younger, and much younger, and uh, younger. the. Uh, Doug, thank the, you very well, much. Thanks to all our guests, Frank. Uh, another great job of the controls. We'll uh, talk to you later on. Bye bye. Have a great all week. Right, God bless. Good. Thank you, yep. Commander. You got it. Have, have a great week. Next week. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation for the men in the United States Armed Forces, men and police and fire services. When you're out there and see somebody in uniform, please let them know that you know they're there. It's are very, very tough times for young men and women in the uniform. These programs are dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty. Debbie Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcat, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Sergeant Thomas Bainger, <clears throat> Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Henler, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Shaw County Sheriff's Office, Patrolman Charlie Condit, Carpenter Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Chris Levake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, 
Patrol Deputy uh, Arnolfo Crispin, Lakeland PD. Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police. Patrol, Patrol Deputy Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department. Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department. Lieutenant Arthur Willington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Willington Fire Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Al Hogle, Longwood Key Police Department. And Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, at some time we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, when the roads rise up to meet you, may the winds be always at your back, and the rains fall softly on your fields, the sunshine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the hallow of his hands. Good night, God bless, and have a great week.
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.